0: Turn to Revelation chapter 12, if you would. As you're doing that, let me say how good it is to be back. It hit me driving up here yesterday that we were here in Greensboro eight years, and it's eight years this month since we left Greensboro, and it doesn't seem like it's been that long, but um, it's always good to come home here to Christ's covenant. Revelation chapter 12, uh, as we go to that passage... Let me remind you that Revelation is a book of impressions. Uh, It is not a book from which we should get strict details, and that's especially true in this passage I'm going to read from verse 7 to verse 17 this morning. I want you to get an impression, I want you to get the central facts, but don't try to pin a name tag on every single thing, we just don't have time to do that this morning, Um, but I. This is a background where John is describing the conflict uh, between God and his enemy, Satan, and he stops in verse 7 to give you background and to give you the backstory of where this conflict started and how it came about, and so that's where we're going to be. Let me pray and ask the Lord's blessing on its reading and preaching. Lord, we would ask this morning that you would uh, open our hearts to make them tender and soft uh, to your Spirit's work as you bring that word that you spoke by uh, men carried along by your Spirit and that that same Spirit would press your word deep in our hearts where we need comfort, where we need correction, where we need to think more clearly where we need to be consoled. Lord, from all of the places from which we come this morning, uh, we ask that your spirit uh, would do its work. I pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. This is God's inerrant and infallible word. Now war arose in heaven, Michael and his angels fighting against the dragon, and the dragon and his angels fought back, but he was defeated who accuses them day and night before our God. And they have conquered him by the blood of the Lamb and by the word of their testimony, for they loved not their lives even unto death. Therefore rejoice, O heavens, and you who dwell in them. But woe to you, O earth and sea, for the devil has come down to you in great wrath because he knows that his time is short." And when the dragon saw that he had been thrown down to the earth, he pursued the woman who had given birth to the male child. But the woman was given the two wings of the great eagle so that she might fly from the serpent into the wilderness to the place where she is to be nourished for a time and times and half a time. The serpent poured out water like a river out of his mouth after the woman to sweep her away with a flood But the earth came to the help of the woman, and the earth opened its mouth and swallowed the river that the dragon had poured from his mouth. Then the dragon became furious with the woman and went off to make war on the rest of her offspring, on those who keep the commandments of God and hold to the testimony of Jesus. And he stood on the sand of the sea. Thus far, God's inerrant and infallible word there's the, an old expression attributed to the author, Joseph Heller, and that is that just because you're paranoid doesn't mean they're not out to get you. If you think about that a while, it'll, it'll keep you awake at night. I don't know if you've ever had the experience that we've had a few times where you see some people uh, in the, uh, at the gate at the airport, and then, of course, you see them on the flight, and you see them then later at the hotel to which you've traveled, and maybe you see them around a resort or around a convention or conference, and if you let yourself, you start thinking, are they following us? Are they, are they after us? Because as someone has said, paranoids have enemies too. So you just, you just don't want to overthink this stuff. But while that example is silly, there is a deadly, serious um, enemy that every human being has, and that is the one who is described in this uh, chapter uh, 12 as Satan, the enemy, the deceiver, the accuser, the thief, the robber, the serpent of Genesis chapter 3. This morning, we're going to look at who this one is, our enemy, and the war that he conducts. And even more than that, I want us to see our triumphant King Jesus, who triumphs over sin and death and the enemy. Now, if you're visiting today, understand this church doesn't talk about this stuff all the time, and that's good and right. Because we want to have biblical balance in the things that we consider from God's Word. So things that are are prominent, we uh, look at a lot. And things that are less prominent, we don't look at as often. And so this isn't something Satan and the devil that we talk about every week. But the Bible does explain it and indeed in many ways assumes it, but it doesn't dwell on it. And so I wouldn't recommend spending a lot of time on things that the Bible doesn't make a big deal about, but we also don't want to ignore a dynamic that is so consistently presented as a fact in so many different places in the Bible. Yeah, some Christians don't know what to do with this. The world often doesn't know what to do with this either. In 2013, the late Supreme court justice Antonin Scalia who was a devout Roman Catholic uh, gave an interview to New York magazine and the subject meandered to heaven and hell and Justice Scalia at some point in the interview said I even believe in the devil and the interviewer said you do as if he had just said he had three heads or something Justice Scalia said yes he's a real person but it's curious, and the Gospels—the devil is doing all sorts of things. He's making pigs run off cliffs. He's possessing people and whatnot, and that doesn't happen very much anymore. Close quote. Near the end of his excursus on evil and hell, Scalia said to the interviewer, "Quote: You're looking at me as though I'm weird." Close quote. Kind of the way a few of you are looking at me now. It's the <laughs> Friends, I think we have been too influenced by the empiricism and the naturalism of the 20th and 21st centuries to, we've been conditioned to think, if I can't see it, it's not real. And if I'm not experiencing it directly, it's not happening. And yet the Bible tells us that the passing things of this world are transient, the things that we can see, and the unseen things are more real, if I can put it that way, than the things that are seen. So this morning, let's take a few moments to consider uh, first that we have a real enemy. Uh, Before we do that, though, let's set the table. Before we bring out the food from Revelation 12, let's set the table just a moment. God made everything. God is sovereign over all that he has made. The story of Genesis 1 and 2 is consistent. In the beginning, God. Satan is a created being. He is subject to a sovereign God. He is a spirit, so he does not have a body like we do. But understand he is not God. I think in, for many people we've subtly absorbed some Eastern philosophy that there is this yin and this yang. There's good and evil in the universe. And there's this protracted struggle between good and evil. But that is not the God of the Bible. The God of the Bible tells us that as we read in verse 7, war arose in heaven, Michael and his angels fighting against the dragon and the dragon and his angels Fought back. That means God alone made all things. And Satan is one of his created beings, which means that Satan is not omnipresent. He cannot be more than one place at one time. He is not omniscient, he doesn't know everything. Oh, he observes humans, and he observes our nature, and he, he knows our weaknesses and whatnot. But he is not all-knowing. He does not know what you're thinking in a given moment, though he indeed in his minions can watch you. And he is not omnipotent. <laughs> he is not all-powerful. He cannot summon the wind and the waves, but that God allows him to do that. We're told in uh, verse 7 that a war arose in heaven. Thus, he is a rebel. He is one that is fighting back against the reign of God over all that he has made. That means he's only negative. He can only uh, oppose. He can only accuse. He can only discourage. Boys and girls, you may have seen in movies uh, a scene of a heckler in a crowd. While someone is trying to speak, there's someone in the back shouting things and disagreeing with the speaker. Think of Satan as a heckler to human beings made in the image of God, to those in Christ who have been redeemed by the blood. There is one in the back whispering and shouting and trying to discourage and trying to cause us uh, to grow faint and weary uh, in this struggle that is this life. Think of that picture we don't have time to go look at this morning in Job chapters 1 and 2 when uh, Satan is sowing dissent. He's asking questions. He's, He's accusing Job before God and saying, oh, it's only because you've given him everything. It's only because he has an easy life that he loves you. Take those things away and he won't uh, love you. He won't worship you. Think of the picture we have in the New Testament in Matthew chapter 4 and in Mark's and Luke's Gospels of Jesus' temptation in the wilderness. Having just heard the words of his father, this is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. And then just days later, Jesus is in the wilderness fasting for 40 days days and the enemy comes to accuse and he's not that creative so he he goes back to his old trick from genesis chapter 3 when the serpent asked eve did god really say causing uh, tempting jesus to disbelieve uh, god he is that accuser he is sowing confusion that's who he is. You may have heard the story about the fellow walking along and uh, this rattlesnake says to him, I- I'm tired and weary, would you carry me? And so he picks the rattlesnake up and carries him and he gets to where the rattlesnake wants to go and he's putting him down and the rattlesnake bites him. And he said, why did you do that? I, I-, I gave you a right. He said, I'm a rattlesnake. It's, it's what we do. Well, in the same way, there is an enemy to our souls, and so because of that, there is a real war. It does not matter if you want to be in this war or not, because you are a human being who has been made in the image of God, however effaced by sin, you still bear God's image uniquely in all creation as a human being. And because those who are in Christ have been united to Christ, and Jesus, who suffers this temptation and says, A servant is not above his master. If they persecuted me, they're going to persecute you. And so we should, by inference, also assume that as Satan tempted Jesus, so he will tempt those who are in Christ. And Again, it, it doesn't really matter if you're interested in Satan. Satan is interested in you. He is interested in discouraging you. Verse twelve, he he comes in great wrath. This is not a passive aggression. This is not Satan over in the corner and as long as you don't get too close to him and as long as you don't kick him as you walk by, you'll get by fine. No, verse 13, he is pursuing the woman who had given birth to the male child. Peter echoes that uh, that picture that we see in 1 Peter 5 when he writes to the Christians and says, your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. That news comes to you, do you turn your children out of the house to go play in the neighborhood? No. His goal is our destruction, verse 15. The serpent poured out water like a river out of his mouth after the woman to sweep her away with the flood. Jesus said in John 10, the thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. Imagine this afternoon, maybe about dark, you get a text from your HOA president or your text from the local uh, police precinct. And they say, just want to, just a heads up. There, uh, there's one who will be prowling about like a roaring lion in your neighborhood tonight. Um, he steals and he kills and he destroys. Uh, you know, I'm getting my AR and I'm going to the roof. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm getting a flashlight. And I, I can't go to sleep. And yet don't we as Christians somehow sleepwalk through life pretending that we do not have an enemy and there is not a spiritual war underway. Verse 17, he makes war on all of those who keep the commandments, the rest of her offspring who hold to the testimony of Jesus. See, his scheme typically is one of two things. Ahead of sin, it is to tell you, oh, that doesn't really matter. It's not that big of a deal. And then his technique on the backside, if you will, of sin is to say that was so horrible and horrific, Jesus' blood could never cover that. You're worse than all of the other people. You and I know that we have these closets that no one gets into. And it's it's where we've stuffed those things that no one knows the things that we've thought, or perhaps the things that we've said or wanted to say, or the things that we've done, or the things that we have failed to do. And the accuser comes along, and he says, oh, but other people don't have closets like that and and there's no way that Jesus could forgive that and and you're you're worse than that and he wants to discourage you he wants to keep you from fleeing to the cross he wants your sin to look big and Jesus to look small That's why Paul writes in Ephesians 6, stand against the schemes of the devil. He he is carrying out war plans. He is trying to discourage you. He wants you to believe things that are false. He wants you to disbelieve things that are true. In Ephesians 6.12, the apostle writes, for we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Do you believe that? Do you believe that there there really are rulers and authorities and cosmic powers over this present darkness, that there are spiritual forces of evil? I don't want you to be fearful of that in a way that drives you to despair. I want you to be fearful of that in a way that drives you to Jesus. Because the enemy deceives us into obscuring the gospel. And sometimes that makes its way into becoming a, Christianity becoming a list of do's and don'ts. And I can feel really good about myself if I just check off all the do things and then at the end of the day, am able to check off all of the don't things. And ultimately, what that's doing is it's taking my gaze away from Jesus until I'm looking in a mirror. And that will always lead to despair, friends. Whitney Houston was wrong. It is not the greatest love of all is to ourselves. It is the greatest love of all to look to another. And so the enemy wants you and me to look away. To no longer see the beauty of Christ. To forget about the riches of His grace. For the wonderful love of God for sinners to become just something. Starts to sound like Charlie Brown school teacher. And now that wonderful redeemer is obscured by my looking inward at myself. I'm not talking about healthy self-examination and confession of sin. I'm talking about when the enemy whispers and he discourages us. And he causes us to look away and now things that are minor become majors in our lives, and those things which are of first importance, the apostle writes in 1 Corinthians 15, become so much less important. And the crazy thing is that we're surprised when this happens (laughs) because we've been told we have an enemy, and this enemy is engaged in a very real war. And friends, we can't begin to catalog all of the ways that the enemy deceives Christians in the world. But if you've ever worked a lot with currency or worked at a bank... You know, there are those 8 or 10 or 12 features of real currency that they teach you about because in this day of laser printers and and all kinds of of shipping of papers all over the world, there's no way they could teach you what every con looks like. No, what you need to learn is what the real stuff looks like. And so we do well to be aware of our enemy, to be aware that there is a battle, but to look to a triumphant king who has defeated this enemy. And that brings us to our third and final point. Hold your finger in Revelation 12 and turn over to Revelation chapter 20. We're going to look at just two verses there in Revelation 20. You know, if you had to sum up the book of Revelation in two words, it's that Jesus wins. And here's a picture in in chapter 20. And they marched up over the broad plain of the earth and surrounded the camp of the saints and the beloved city. But fire came down from heaven and consumed them. And the devil who had deceived them was thrown into the lake of fire and sulfur where the beast and the false prophet were. And they will be tormented day and night forever and ever. Now there is a memory verse. (laughs) There, maybe, is the next verse you need to memorize because isn't it tempting to think in situations, perhaps something on the news, something in your family, something in your work life, to think that I'm not sure that evil isn't winning right now, but to remember for, as Martin Luther wrote, for lo, his doom is sure the wonderful 19th century words from Charity Lees Bancroft that we sing, when Satan tempts me to despair and tells me of the guilt within, don't we all know that experience? She knew it, but then she would write, upward I look and see him there who made an end to all my sin. We have a conqueror. A conqueror who in Genesis 3, uh, God promised he was going to crush the head of the serpent. We have a conqueror who came and who in God's gracious and kind providence outwitted Herod and flees to Egypt and comes back and he begins announcing that the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And he begins taking disease and Illness and insanity upon himself. He, he gives his perfect righteousness to those who, uh, who worship him and acknowledge him. And we see him on the cross as he takes all of the sin of his people upon himself as that, as that scapegoat and yet as also the sacrificed lamb and then he is, gives his perfect righteousness to you and me in that great exchange. When God made him who knew no sin to become sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. And this Jesus who has triumphed in his resurrection, this Jesus who said, It is better that I go away, that I send my spirit. But Jesus is not idling. The Bible tells us in several places what he's doing right now. In his resurrected body, he is praying for you. He is praying as he did for Peter that that Satan might not have him. So Jesus is interceding on your behalf. It's why he could make the promise that nothing will snatch my people out of my hand. And it's why we anticipate that day when Jesus comes to judge the living and the dead. And he is coming back, and it was, he do, when he does, we will see by sight what we now believe by faith, that John, what John said, that greater is he who is in you than he who is in the world. He's like a fierce dog that uh, is the meanest, baddest, and hungriest dog you've ever seen. But he's on a leash. And it is God who holds the other end of that leash. And so he may tempt us to despair, and we may feel the attacks of the enemy. And we may find particular times when uh, it seems that we are on the receiving end of, of the enemy's attacks. But understand, he is God's devil. He is God's Satan. He is not sovereign. He does not reign over all let me give you just an example. A couple of weeks ago, I was down in Atlanta to preach on this same subject at Covenant of Grace, a, a daughter congregation of this church, and it went fine. And that afternoon, began to feel sick and funny, and things just going right through me. And on the flight the next morning, got the cold sweats. And driving home from the airport, um, I'm riding along and feeling fine, and all of a sudden, I. Uh, Patty's shaking me on the shoulder, and she's like, honey, you, you you were out for like 40 seconds, and I think you had a seizure. And uh, So I got to take my first ambulance ride in 50-some-odd in years and spent my first two nights in the hospital since I was born. And it turned out I had pneumonia in one lung and didn't know it, and uh, was dehydrated and all of those sorts of things. Was that the enemy's attack? Maybe. Shouldn't rule it out in light of Job 1 and 2. And so, but yet, I could never be snatched out of Jesus' hands, and I was safe in his everlasting arms, and that didn't mean I was necessarily going to live or not have continually worse seizures and those kinds of things. But understand, Satan is like a wounded animal who is not long for this world And you may have had a pet who was injured or harmed, and you you go to care for it. It's over in the corner and it just wants to be by itself. And you see a completely different personality. This animal that has loved you and sat in your lap now barks at you and snips at you and is growling. And that is the enemy of our souls because he is defeated. Friends, to whom will you look? C.S. Lewis famously observed in the screw tape letters that Christians can make one of two opposite mistakes when it comes to devils and to Satan. One is to disbelieve in their existence, which I think is probably where a lot of us and our place in life and our sort of socioeconomic status in 21st century America, we're more inclined in that direction. The other is to believe and to feel an excessive, what Lewis called an excessive and unhealthy interest in them. And we think of those people as kooks, and we don't want to be kooks, and so we sort of fall off the other side of the, um, of, of, of the beam there. This morning, I want you to be reminded of a real enemy and a real war but an even more real and triumphant king. Isn't God gracious to give us the spectacles by which to understand our enemy and to understand the world through the scriptures? And so we in this struggle, we who await that day when Jesus returns and vanquishes all of his enemies and ours, until then, we say, come quickly, Lord Jesus. Pray with me. Our Lord and our God, forgive us when we want comfort, and we want a routine life, and you have called us to be um, caught up in this great work that you were doing in the advance of Christ's kingdom in, in this world. And Lord, it shouldn't surprise us, and we pray that it wouldn't But we pray that more than the conflict and the enemy, that you would make Jesus to loom large, that we would long for that day when he comes and he wipes away every tear and uh, sadness and sin and death will be no more. And Lord, until that day, pour out your spirit uh, that we might find your grace to be sufficient in all things. We pray these things in Christ's name. Amen.